If you have a Bible with you, please turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, and we're going to be focusing on verse 7 for the most part today. We'll be going elsewhere, of course, as we usually do, and support of this verse, but Hebrews 11, 7 is where we will be for the most part. And uh, just before the service, I was talking to our children's minister, Jana, who said, hey, could you tell everybody what happened on last Sunday night? And I said, yeah, and because I was here, and it was really cool. So she said, 400, and this is a no tricks but treats, okay. 422 people came down that hallway to get candy and wordless bracelets and other stuff that uh, we passed out. Hopefully the testimony of Christ came with all of that. And over 33 people volunteered to do that. It was really successful. It was my first time doing it and I was like, wow, this is really cool. So 422, that's awesome. Thank you, Jana, for doing that and, and putting that together. And uh, that's exciting because our, would you not agree that our community is swallowing up Cedar Home Baptist Church? I and mean, we have people all around us and it's great to have a testimony for the Lord. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. The title of the message today is The Faith of Noah, and we're going to answer this question. Why was the, the faith of Noah so great? I mean, what enabled him to be inducted into uh, what we call God's Hall of Faith or Faith's Hall of Fame. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But I also noticed this in my study of this passage that there are a million Noah in the Ark jokes. There's a lot of Noah. I thought I'd share these with you. Um, you're going to have to think about some of them before you burst into uproarious laughter. So, uh, but anyway, I thought I'd share some of these Noah in the Ark jokes. Um, what did Noah say when he finished loading all the animals? Now I've heard everything. All right, okay. Think, Th put your thinking cap on this morning, okay. How did Noah see in the ark at night? He turned on the floodlights. Okay, okay. you can groan, I like groaning. Okay, I do. Uh, Noah's son walked into a kosher deli and ordered a sandwich. Sorry, said the owner, we don't serve ham. <laughs> Think about that one a little bit. Uh, why was Noah such a great financial genius? Because while he floated his stock, everyone else went into liquidation. <laughs> oh, okay, all right, you want to go that way? Okay, fine. Which bird did Noah regret taking into the ark? The woodpecker. Of course. <laughs> What did Noah tell his son while they were fishing? You better get this right, I only have two worms. <laughs> and my personal favorite, why did the worm leave the apple? Because Noah said to travel in pairs. <laughs> it's a groaner, but it's a good one, okay. But really, I mean, when you, when you just joke around, Okay, but there's really nothing silly about the story of Noah. It's like one of the most serious stories.
stories. I say story, it was not fictional, it was real, but it's one of the most serious uh, events in history. Um, you have, the, you have uh, the judgment of the flood that covers the whole earth and kills everybody but Noah and his immediate family. That's pretty serious. And here we are in Hebrews eleven seven, and Noah's being held out as this great man of faith. And I love learning from people in the Bible. I think it's one of the greatest things that we can do is walk into church on Sunday morning and have a, a person teach us things by his own life. Okay, and in Hebrews 11, we see, as I mentioned earlier, Noah is inducted into God's hall of faith or faith's hall of fame. And he, he, he put Noah in his hall of faith because he wants us to learn from Noah, specifically about Noah's faith. Why? Because he wants you and I to be people of faith. He wants you and me to be people of faith. And he wants you and me to be people who other people look at and say, wow, that's a person of faith. I see their faith. It's visible. And he wants us to have faith because like these first century Christians, and Melissa mentioned it, and I do not argue with her on this, like the first century Christians that this was written to, Jewish Christians, uh, they were being opposed and persecuted and harassed and rejected by society. And some of them were returning to their old way of life and were being written this about Noah uh, because God doesn't want us to do that as our world becomes darker and more anti-Christian. Also, I really want to emphasize this because I've mentioned it more than once, is that God not only wants us to be able to handle the challenges and the uncertainties and the opposition that we're going to face as history moves on, but he wants us to open the door to obtaining the promises that he gives us in this Bible and through the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of promises in here uh, to meet our needs, to be with us, to give us direction, to give us guidance, to keep us on the right path, to encourage us. There's a ton of promises in here. Okay, there's a lot in here that God wants us to claim, but it has to come by faith. Okay, there are things that the Holy Spirit gives us directly that he says, I'm giving you this promise, claim it, and it'll be yours if you claim it in faith. And so God wants us to handle challenges and he wants us to experience blessings, but he knows it has to come by faith. And so he gives us these, guy, these guys as examples. And so what we're gonna talk about today is the faith of Noah and why his faith was so great. And we're gonna look at four things one in Genesis 3 in Hebrews 11, verse 7, okay? Number one, um, Noah's faith was really, really great because Noah was prepared in advance for faith's challenges. He was prepared in advance. His faith didn't start when God said, Noah, build an ark, there's going to be a great flood, and I want you to be in the ark of safety and avoid death. It didn't start there. It started way before the challenge came. And I want us to go back to Genesis and look at that in verse uh, 8 and 9 of Genesis chapter 6. Verses 8 and 9 in Genesis chapter 6. Look what it says. Now this is before Noah got his orders from God to build an ark. It's a way before that. Okay? But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. 
Noah was a righteous man. Well, excuse me. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. And he had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. What is that saying here? It's saying long before the challenge knocked on his front door, Noah was ready. Noah was ready. Now, I just put it this way. Conquering the situation by faith because some of us face daunting challenges almost regularly, or claiming one of God's promises that we have in the Word or through the Holy Spirit. You know, it, it, it doesn't just happen. The, we don't have faith at the moment we enter that situation or crisis. There's crucial prep work to be done to respond in the kind of faith that Noah had, and as you'll see in a few minutes, he had to have a lot of faith, okay? Noah was ready in advance to face challenges, and to claim God's promises in faith. Okay, again, before he even told Noah about the flood, before Eve gave him these instructions to build an ark, and there's nothing in there that says Noah was a shipbuilder, okay, he was prepared, Noah was. Look at the four things in uh, Genesis chapter 6. Number one in verse 8, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. What does that mean? Briefly, it means that Noah sought God's will in a corrupt culture. Noah sought God's will in a very corrupt culture. And we're going to talk about that culture here momentarily. Noah sought God's will in a very, very corrupt culture. He was going in the opposite way of the culture that he lived in. We have to ask ourselves, am I going in the opposite way of the culture that I live in? Am I counterculture, if you will? And it also says Noah was a righteous man in verse 9. That means that he was a person who honored God or sought to honor God in every area of his life. Not I'll honor God in this area, but man, this area, I'm going to do my thing. Not only did he seek God's will in a corrupt culture, okay, he sought to honor God in every area of his life in an extremely corrupt culture. Third thing, Noah was... It says in verse 9, Noah was blameless among the people of his time. If you look in verse 5 through 7 of Genesis chapter 6, okay, look what it says there. Look at verse 5. This is trippy. It really is. The Lord saw, saw how God, great man's wickedness on the earth had become. How great had man's wickedness on the earth become? Here it is. And that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all of the time. And we think we live in a bad culture. Okay? Every inclination of the thoughts of his heart, of every heart other than Noah and Mrs. Noah and their kids, every inclination of their thoughts of their heart was only evil all of the time, so much so that it caused God grief and pain to just look at mankind, it says there, in the following verses. Noah was blameless among these kinds of people. They were godless and he was, he was godly. They were moving in one direction, he was moving in the other. And then the last thing here it says in verse nine, not like, and we talked about this with Enoch, it says Noah walked with God. Noah walked with God. Noah walked with God. Did you ever walk against a really intensely large group of people? They're going one way and you're the only one going the other way? maybe coming off an escalator or after a ball game or maybe, I don't know, 
crossing the street. Everybody's going that way. You're going this way. That's a picture of Noah. He walked with God. More specifically, what that means is he regularly, continuously, consistently fellowshiped and walked with God. He was moving in the same direction as God. He stayed in fellowship with God in the word, in prayer, if you will. He stayed consistently moving in the direction that God wanted him to go. I'll just say this before we move on to our second point. You know, Noah was prepared for great acts of faith. Noah was prepared to claim God's promises. Noah was prepared because he was prepared in advance. And I would put it this way, going into anything unprepared of anything, going into anything of any importance unprepared is asking for failure. I mean, think about it. If you're going to an exam unprepared, and I've never done that, but I know many of you have, okay? Um, <laughs> you know what happens. You bomb. Going into a, how about, I've never done this, but if, if, you going, if a person goes into to a marathon race unprepared, what happens? Far short of the finish line, they're cramped up or their lungs are burning and they can't even walk. Doing a project of some kind unprepared, it's, it's, a, it's a failure. But living spiritually like Noah is how we get ready and stay ready and are prepared ahead of time for the challenges that we're going to face or the promises that we want to claim. There are all kinds of, I don't know if this is the right word to use, but dormant promises lying there waiting for us to experience if we have faith. But we have to be prepared in advance to have that faith. It just doesn't come on the fly. Okay, we need to be in fellowship with God continuously. You ever see that commercial on TV where there's, I've now seen at least two companies, and they promise to repair your car if it breaks down. And all you have to do is purchase their policy, and they'll, they'll repair your car. Has anybody seen those commercials? And I love those commercials. And I'm not going to name them, and I don't know how credible they are and how risky it is to sign a policy with them. Not sure, but, and I don't know what the conditions are. But at the end of one of those commercials, the guy says, and if, you, and if your car has problems, and it will, you need this company, right? Have you seen that? I love that. And whether they're true to their word or not, I don't know. But you know, it's true. If you prepare ahead of time for the challenges that you're, you're going to face as a Christian or the promises that you want to claim as a Christian, and you will, you want to be prepared. Okay, Noah, how was he prepared? Okay, just again, just really quickly, he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. In other words, he sought God's will in a corrupt culture. He was a righteous man. He sought to honor God in every area of his life. He was blameless among the people of his time. They were moving, all moving that way. He was moving this way toward a deeper walk with God. And he walked with God continuously, daily. It wasn't stop and start, spurts and, and going and, 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 and crashing and burning and deviating and coming back. He was continuously walking with God. Not that we all don't crash and burn now and again. Don't get me wrong. Okay. The second reason Noah's faith was so great not, was not only that he prepared in advance, 
And we have to ask ourselves, am I prepared in advance to face the challenges and uncertainties and struggles that life will throw at me and God can, wants to get me through? Okay, and, 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 to, and to claim these wonderful promises that he, that he gives us, whether through the word or the Holy Spirit. Am I prepared in advance? But the second thing we see here about Noah is this. Noah's faith was coupled with obedience. And you can't have real faith without obeying what God tells you to do. Okay, what does the Bible say about, about faith? Faith without works is what? It's dead. Okay, look at, now, now we go into the verse 7 of chapter 11 in Hebrews. Back to that. Hebrews uh, 11, verse 7. By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. Okay? So Noah was warned about things not yet seen. And then they happened. So Noah was warned about things not yet seen, but then they happened. And I want us to go back to Genesis chapter 6, and I've edited uh, the uh, story of the flood. So we're not going to read all the verses, but we're going to read some of the verses. And I know these are a, 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 an edit of that, but I just wanted to give you the flavor of what happened, and what, was, what the warning was, and then what happened. Verse 11 of Genesis 6. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. All the people, all the people. Okay, that's, that's saying something. That every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts were only evil all the time and that means everybody but Noah. Wow. Okay, anyway. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all the people for the earth is filled with violence and because of them I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make a lower, middle, and upper decks. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that the breath that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons, and your wife and your sons, wives with you. And you're to bring into the ark two of the living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. And Noah did everything just as God commanded them. Now go to chapter 7. Again, editing the whole story, but we don't have time to read the whole thing. But Verse 11 of chapter 7. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day all the springs of the great deep burst forth. And the floodgates of the heavens were open. And the rain fell on that earth 40 days and 40 nights. And on that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. Now go down to verse 20 of chapter 7. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. Every living thing that moved the earth uh, perished, birds, livestock, wild animals, and all the creatures that swarm over the earth and all mankind. And everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. 
Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. Men and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. Now on to chapter 8 in a few verses there. Verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Verse 15, then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number upon it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives and all the animals and all the creatures that move around along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the earth, came out of the ark one kind after another. Now I want you to think about something here as we've read this thing. Where would Noah have been without obeying God's command to build an ark? That's a simple question, obviously. He would have died with everybody else. He would have perished, and his wife, and his children. It would have been a disaster. But Noah's faith was an obedient faith, okay? He wasn't just prepared in advance for issues. He was ready to obey God and whatever God told him to do. Biblically, faith isn't faith if it's without obedience. You can have all the faith in you, you want that God's going to send a flood, but if it doesn't result in obedience to that reality, then it doesn't make any difference. True, saving Christian faith always results in the presence of obedience to God. I, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, I don't have this for the screen, but I love this verse. He says to the Thessalonians, believers at Thessalonica, we continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith and your labor prompted by love. Your work produced by what? Faith. Faith will produce works. And Noah had genuine faith, and this was shown by his utter, immediate, uh, persistent, unhesitating uh, obedience to God for how long? 12 decades, 120 years. That's how long it took to build the ark. And it says here in verse 7 here, if you look back at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, that when he was warned about the things not yet seen, he, he, it says, in holy fear he built an ark to save his family. That meant reverence. And awe, okay? I think we sort of kind of sort of lost reverence and awe for God. I mean, it's like, we're the king's kids, you know? And we are, and that's cool. And God loves us, and that's cool. And we are his children, that's cool. And we are to cry, Abba, Father, and that's cool. But God's still worthy of like really awe and reverence, right? I mean, he is... I don't even, I can't do it here. I can't do it. He's unspeakably awesome and unspeakably God. God is really God, you know? I mean, and no one knew that. No one knew that. And out of holy fear for God, he built an ark to save his family. When God said build it, Noah dropped everything else. And I didn't, he just dropped it. And he said, okay. I'm going to build an ark. That's called obedience. And when you think about the, what, the size of the ark, uh, 120, it took him 120 years to build this boat. Uh, it was one and a half football fields long, uh, 75 feet wide, four and a half stories tall. 
had three decks in it with an area of 96,000 square feet and a total volume within those decks of 1.3 million cubic feet. Wow. And that's, that's called obedience. I don't know that he had any shipbuilding skills before that. Probably because there weren't, hadn't been any ships before that, right? And you know that people made fun of him. You gotta know it, right? I mean, I can hear it in town right now. 20 bucks, put you on the tour bus, we're gonna go see crazy Noah building his ark. $20, get you a seat on the tour bus. We'll drive by and we'll, we'll heckle Noah for a while. You'll get your money's worth. I mean, he just had to be ridiculed. Now, we say, well, why? Because up to that point, most, many scholars say uh, there had never been anything called rain yet. There had been a canopy over the earth, okay, of, I don't know what you would call it, vapor, I guess, but they had never even seen rain, and there weren't really any big bodies of water around, so that made it all the more strange that Noah was building a boat, okay? But Noah didn't complain, he didn't argue, didn't procrastinate, didn't quibble over his lack of shipbuilding skills or the lack of help or the opposition. He didn't grow impatient that it took 120 years. He just obeyed God according to what God had said for him to do. Faith always obeys God. And here comes the gut punch of this point, so just prepare to turn your ears off if you want to. But I hope you don't. Is there anything right now that God is telling you to obey him in? To start doing or to stop doing? Is there anything? And that's between you and God. I am not thinking of a single person basically, that I'm thinking in my mind to say this to. You know, somebody s says, well, what do you think when you preach? I think I shoot down into a dark hole and I let the Holy Spirit hit who he wants. And you may have come here this morning and, and are sitting here. I, I have this in my notes, so I didn't pre-plan it for anybody. But is God telling you to obey him in something? Or to do or not to do? You can't, you can't face issues with faith. You can't claim promises with faith if you don't do that, if he's revealing that to you. And God reveals these kinds of things throughout our life. Sometimes he waits a while to reveal these things that we need to obey or to do or to stop doing because he knows we can't handle it here. He knows we can't handle it here, but then he knows we can handle it here. And so if God's talking to you, resolve it with him and then you can move on into the faith that Noah had, okay? Because obedience to God must follow faith or it's no good. James chapter two, I believe it is, faith without works is dead. And so if there's something that God is telling us, you, me, to obey him, and we're not, then we can't have a life of faith without obeying him. I, this is not original with me. I read this somewhere. Couldn't tell you where I read it, who I read it from. But God wants us to believe him in faith and to obey him because he has arcs for us to build. He has arcs for us to build. Arcs for us to build. What do you say? What, what do you mean by arcs? I, I, I think I'm, what I would, uh, how I would uh, interpret that would be the things that he's assigned to do, us to do. He talks in Ephesians 2 about the works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. 
That's for every Christian. God, Ephesians 2.10. He's appointed us to good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. What is that? I don't know. Yours is different from mine. But there are arcs. Arcs that faith will make real. Arcs that, 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 that faith will claim and experience. Those are arcs that God wants us to build and, 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 and have fulfilled in our life. But if we don't do it, it ain't gonna happen unless we obey God. Okay? And, and, and he has it for all of us. And I think one of the prayers you might wanna pray the next time you spend that time in prayer with God is, Lord, what arcs do you want me to build? What have you assigned me to do? What, what have you wanted to, me to experience that as of yet I have not? And I'll obey you in whatever you tell me to do. So Noah's our model of faith. And so let's go to the third one. Noah's faith was so great because he was prepared in advance. And we preachers preach this till we're blue in the face. Have as much as you can a daily quality time of prayer and the word of God that you can because it will prepare you in advance for the challenges and the promises God is gonna bring your way. And then obey him in whatever he's telling you to. And that's between you and, and your God. And then thirdly, by his faith, Noah's faith was so great because by Noah's faith, he condemned the world. Look at verse seven again, okay? By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world. Now, I think it's important for us to know what that's not before we say what it is. I don't think that when that tour bus came by, that Noah, you know, he put his hammer down and his nails down and the pitch, the pail of pitch down and he turned around and with maniacal, big-eyed kind of hair flying everywhere, condemn the people. I don't think that was Noah's style. It, it, he didn't, it, it wasn't like raining condemnation down on people. I don't think it was a scream fest from the scaffolding of the ark. I, what I think it means is that his righteous life and his words just provided this contrast to the rest of the world. You, you see what I'm saying? His life, the way he, he walked with God and his obedience and, and, and his time spent with God, it, 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 it exposed uh, the life of sin and rebellion and unbelief that the rest of the, wor uh, that the, rest of the world was, ma was, was manifesting. He wasn't really judging them by, by like screaming at them about God's judgment, although I'm sure, and we'll see in a minute, he warned them, no question. But he, his life was so distinctively different that it exposed what they were really all about. And that's how the condemnation came. His life was a contrast to theirs. That's another thing that I gotta ask myself. Does my life, do my words, provide a contrast to the world around me? We are surrounded in our, where we live by non-Christians. I don't think there's one, well, there might be one part of one family that is a Christian, but all the people around us are not Christians. And I'm, sometimes I wonder, does my life uh, present a contrast to their life or not? 
Now, we get a clue. There's a clue here, and it's found in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, of what this means, and I want to read it. It's a very short verse. It talks about God. Uh, anyway, it's, it's a larger context, but I'm just going to lift it out of that. It says, if he, that is God, verse 5, did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness. Is that up there, by the way? Oh, it is. Thank you for putting that thing back there that I can see it's there. He did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its godly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness. Gives us a little more insight of what Noah was doing while he was making the ark. He preached righteousness. And I think, of course, I think, it, I think that it included verbalized preaching. You know, okay, I think he warned those people, and he warned them for 12 decades. Wow. Can you imagine listening to me for 12 decades? That would drive you nuts. Okay? 12 decades he preached a warning. Somebody said the building was probably easier than the preaching, given the spiritual condition of the people. The building was easier than the preaching. That was a rough crowd. I mean, if you remember uh, Genesis 6, 5, and 6. They were oblivious to his warnings. They ridiculed him, most likely. They went about their own evil lives as usual. They scoffed at Noah. It was a fully demonized world. Can you imagine 120 years of preaching to a crowd like that? Not one single convert in 120 years. And I can't say that I'm the greatest evangelist in the world. In fact, I, I do not have, for sure do not have the gift of evangelism. But I can say in the the years that I've been doing ministry, there's at least a few people that have received Christ. But in 120 years, wow, we. But he preached. He preached. And by the way, just as a side note to you guys, if when you talk to somebody about the Lord in your family or your neighborhood or your workplace or wherever, school, and they just basically turn you off just think about what Noah had to go through. That's the way of the world, right? Wide is the gate and broad is the way to, to, to condemnation, and many will find it. Small is the gate and narrow is the way, and few find it. That's what Jesus said. So don't get discouraged if the person that you're sharing with turns you off. Because Noah went through 120 years of that. Anyway, I think his preaching was verbal, and I think, but I, I also think it was a lifestyle. It was a lifestyle. Noah provided the kind of life that, that even those hardened, demonized people looked at and went, you know, maybe after they ridiculed him out loud and they got home and they sat down in their easy chair and they just thought about it, maybe thought, you know that Noah? Man, he's got something. He's got something. And you know what? You preach by your life. Did you know that? You say, man, I get so tongue-tied, I can't even talk to anybody about Jesus. I feel like a fool. Words won't come. I feel like a hypocrite, this, that, and the other thing. I'll tell you what, you're preaching. You are preaching so loud, you don't know it. You're preaching because you are being watched. If you profess to be a Christian, you're being watched. All kinds of people are watching you. Uh, the people on your team are watching you. Uh, the people in your middle school or high school, they're watching you. 
at your job site, they're watching you. In your neighborhood, they're watching you. I know I'm being watched. I know for a fact. Okay. Um, you're being watched. You know how I know that? Because when I was, in a, when I was a, not a Christian, I watched you. I watched my neighbors go to church. I watched them, and I saw in them something I didn't have that eventually pulled me to Christ. You can preach such a loud sermon without saying a word. You know you do that all the time. Okay. And Noah preached with his life, and he provided a contrast to those people. If nothing else, they saw his faithfulness, right? And that would be what I call lifestyle preaching. Noah did that in a wicked, cruel, violent, immoral, increasingly vulgar, and lewd, dark world. He preached without any words at all. You know, um, Noah's faith was great because he preached with a contrasting lifestyle of obedience and commitment to God. And you know what? Uh, it's going to shine brighter and brighter and brighter as our world gets darker and darker and darker. So just realize that, that you're being watched. Okay? Just like Noah. So let's go to our last point here. Um, Noah's faith was really, really great. And we can, we can copy or mimic or emulate him, whatever word you want to use. His faith was great because he was prepared to advance. Are you doing that, preparing to advance? You can't hit these challenges and claim these promises on the fly. It, it just doesn't work. And you don't want to stay mediocre. You don't want to leave all of this great stuff unclaimed. And as, again, not to be this prophet of doom and this, this depressing preacher before you, I think more and more our faith is going to be called on as Christians in our world. And so we want to be ready. And we are ready when we prepare in advance. We are in his word. We are in prayer. And it doesn't mean you have a five-hour daily devotional time. It just means you spend time with them. And, and, and we also uh, need to couple our faith with obedience. Um, a Christian life without obedience or a professed one without obedience is, the Bible calls it dead or unfruitful. And I don't know what he's talking to you about being obedient to stop or start. That's not my business. That's God's business and your business. And then thirdly, he had great um, faith because um, his faith condemned the world. It provided a contrast. I wonder sometimes how much of a contrast do I produce in my neighborhood or where I go somewhere. And that's a question we need to ask. And then finally, through his faith, Noah's faith was great, however you want to phrase it, because he became an heir of righteousness. He became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Last part of verse 7. It says, he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, basically, that's just a statement of how an Old Testament person got saved. And some people, I think I've addressed this earlier in our study of the book of Hebrews, but um, Old Testament people got saved. And they got saved the same way we get saved. Only in lieu of what Christ was going to do on the cross because it hadn't happened yet. But because Christ's work on the cross is, spans all of time and eternity in the eyes of God, 
when an Old Testament person truly put faith in the true God, Christ's work that had yet to happen was retroactively applied to their life, and they were made righteous in the sight of God. That's just how it works, okay? God still counted it to them as righteousness when they believed in the true God by faith. So here's how it goes. Just as Christ's righteousness is imputed to and applied to you and I the moment we get saved, God fills us and, and covers us with the very righteousness of Christ as we express faith in him. And then God sees us just as he sees his son. He sees us through the lens of his son, okay, because we are now baptized into him spiritually and, and we are identified by God as being one with his son. Just as he looks at believers Again, through the lens of his son and sees us as he sees his son. So thousands of years before Jesus became incarnate, God looked at Noah and saw the son because Noah believed. And that's why Noah was such a great person of faith. Okay? Because he prepared in advance, he he obeyed, he provided a contrast to the world around him, and he received Christ in his point in time. Now, I want to close this morning by addressing two groups of people that I think it's important to finish a message like this, too. Number one, for the non-Christian. And let's just say that there's only one of you here today. Then this is worth saying. And I don't know, I have no idea who's listening online. It could be a person that's never truly given their life to Christ. But for a non-Christian, the flood is a preview. It's a preview of what will happen when Christ returns. It's just that simple. The unbeliever will be shut out of the ark of safety that is heaven forever. Just like the people in Noah's day that were shut out, when the door closed, they were shut out. When the flood came, when Christ returns, that door into the ark of safety, as some of our brothers call it, will be shut and they'll no longer be able to get in. And I, I, sometimes I wonder what that was like. I want to over-dramatize it, but I don't want to under-dramatize it either. But what was it like when the water started rising and, and all these people that were going their way and had been mocking Noah and, and refusing to repent of their sin and turn to God? What was it like when the water kept going and they started beating on the door and scratching at the door and screaming as, as the water rose and realized it was too late to get in? Do you know, Jesus says the exact same thing will happen when he returns. Let me read it in the Gospel of Matthew. And these are Jesus' words. Okay, they're not, they're not mine. I just read them because they're there. Jesus said, no one knows, Matthew uh, 24, 36, and following, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to that day, Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would, be, what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill, and one will be taken, and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come, it says there in verse 42. Now, the good news is, in John 6, verse 37, I don't think I put that up there either, but 
Jesus said, no one who comes to me will be cast out. The ark of safety is still open for a person to enter in through faith in Christ. Okay. Uh, But it's going to close. The door will close sometime. It could be today. It could be a year from today. We don't know. But Jesus says, keep watch. And what does that mean? It means repent of your sin. Okay? It means uh, having a change of heart about your sin against God that results in a change of behavior. And it means with that, turning to Jesus Christ as the source of forgiveness for your sins because he died for those sins on the cross and asking him, mano on mano, to forgive you of your sins and then receiving him by faith, verbally, as Lord and Savior of your life and putting him in charge and not being in charge anymore. That's just that simple. And it was probably Noah's message to the people of that day, but they all turned him down. The ark then closed and they couldn't get in. And the same is true today. Okay, Stephen Cole puts it very well. Just as the ark was the only means of salvation from God's judgment for Noah and his family, so the Lord Jesus is the only way God has provided for salvation from his coming judgment on the whole world. Everyone on board the ark was saved. Everyone not on the ark was lost. Everyone who has trusted Christ in Christ's shed blood will be saved. Everyone who has trusted in anything else will be lost. In Noah's day, it wasn't a matter of being an excellent swimmer. I mean, it was 150 days. No one swims that long. No one can tread water for 150 days. Okay? The crucial question is, by faith, have you obediently responded to God's warning by getting on board Jesus Christ or entering the ark of safety? God has issued a clear warning. A Category 5 firestorm of judgment is heading towards everyone who dwells on the earth. The door of his ark is open. Flee to Christ and you will be saved. Scoff at the warning and you'll be lost forever. Imitate Noah's faith and obedience. Join him as an heir of the righteousness according to faith. Now, to us Christians, um, Noah and the ark is a great picture of how we're to walk in our Christian life. I mean, when we're faced with challenges and difficulties and uncertainties, or we're offered the promises of God through his word or through his Holy Spirit, Noah is the, is the great example of how to do that. He was prepared in advance. His faith was coupled with obedience. He was a stark contrast to the world around him. And he lived in the grace of the righteousness of Christ. And I hope that we're doing that. We'll pursue that. Now, as we take the Lord's Supper this morning, it's really interesting how uh, Noah's story relates to the Lord's Supper that we're about to take. Because would you not agree with me, yes or no, that it's because of God's grace that he has placed us into the ark of safety? I mean, we're in the ark of safety. We're in Christ because God opened the door and beckoned us inside. Right now, we are in God's ark of safety from judgment that is Jesus Christ. 
We've been forgiven of our sin. We've been placed into Christ. Now and for all eternity, amen to that, Christ's righteousness has been applied to us. It's delivered us from eternal judgment because of what Jesus did on the cross for us through his blood. Interesting to note, and you may have noticed the emphasis in my voice in Genesis 6.14, that the same root that, is, uh, that, that the Hebrew word for pitch, pitch, that God said cover inside and outside the ark, the same word for that used in Genesis 6.14 is the same root as that used for the word atonement. The pitch that kept the waters of judgment from entering the ark is a picture of Christ's atoning blood that keeps judgment from the sinner. And that's why we're going to take communion right now with that in mind. God has covered us so we have atonement through Christ's blood to protect us from judgment and guarantee eternal life. Amen? Amen. Amen. What a great promise.